0: we are in a series right now it's all about desire and we're gonna be talking about greatness today which you guys have been doing uh, over the past few weeks like Thomas said I'm right here uh, right from here in your area Bayside Blue Oaks just ten minutes away so I'm glad to be able to share with you guys uh, today moved here from Atlanta just like Thomas about a year and a half ago right before he got here Uh, but we're gonna be talking about greatness today and just by a show of hands just so I know I'm in the right place how many of you just by show of hands would say you want to be great you want to be great Uh, if your hands not up I guess you want to be a loser that's okay you go ahead and do that Uh, but I'm gonna be a person that is great Uh, because just like we sung we sung a song we sung songs about a great God and I believe that a great God wants his people to be great and I don't think there's any better example in all of Scripture of greatness than Jesus, What a surprise, a preacher telling you that Jesus is a great person. I say that Jesus is great not just because he performed miracles, he walked on water, he turned water into wine, Uh, he calmed the storm, and he did all sorts of miracles. But Jesus, I believe, is great because he had a practice in his life that allowed him to be great. And if we're going to follow any example, I don't think there's any better example than Jesus to follow. And as we talk about greatness today, we're going to be talking about becoming great through prayer. As we look at the life of Jesus, one of the things that we, I find to be amazing is that we can learn from him not just through his words and not through the miracles that he performed, but we can learn from him by simply looking at his life. And as you read the Gospels, you can read about the details in Jesus' life. And there's one detail that you may often overlook, but I want to highlight today that shows us the significance and importance of prayer. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, we read this about Jesus. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, if Jesus withdrew to lonely places to pray, if Jesus took time out of his day often to pray, then you and I who are not perfect, who are are not God inside of a bod, you and I who do not have the same power and authority that Christ had should probably pray as well. And if you're anything like me, the reality in your life is that prayer is not always a regular part of what you do. And today, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to become a person of prayer. Let prayer be a part of everything that you do, and it is through prayer that you will become great. Through prayer, several things happen in our lives. This is why we pray, and through prayer, several things happen in our lives. The first one is this. We experience the presence and the power of God. In our lives that we live day in and day out, the thing that we need most is the presence and the power of God. In the book of Acts, we read about this early church, this small movement that started with some disciples and some others who were gathered in an upper room. They were living in the Roman Empire and under Roman authority, and somehow they were able to have the presence of God with them and the power of God in their lives to spark this movement called the church. Why did the church of Acts have so much power? because they were committed to being people of prayer. Not only through prayer do we experience the presence and power of God, but it is also through prayer that we receive direction. You're at a pivotal point in your life where you're looking for direction for God and you need to be led by God. And what I've found over my years of living is that I receive direction from God most when I submit myself to him humbly in prayer. As I stated earlier, I moved here about a year and a half ago, and my being here is a result of God giving me direction to come here through a crazy story. I didn't want to move to California. I loved Atlanta, but through prayer, God gave me direction. And I'll tell you a little bit of that story a little bit later. The third reason that we should pray is because it equips us to handle the issues of life. Would you agree that life at times can be difficult? That you go through some hard times, that things are not always easy, that there are a variety of things even going on in your life right now, but it is through prayer that we are equipped to handle the issues of life. And you might be thinking, my life is perfect. I've never had any issues. I've never gone through anything difficult. Let me challenge you with the same words my grandmother said to me. She told me to keep on saying good morning. In other words, if you keep saying good morning, eventually trouble will be knocking on your door and the prayer life you establish today will prepare you for the trials that are coming in your life in the future. And then finally, we find out through prayer that we discover God's plan for our lives. How many of you want to live a life of greatness, significance, and purpose? The way that you do that is through prayer. Beth Moore, the great preacher, said it this way, there are ways that God wants to use and transform us that come no other way than through furious faith filled and unceasing prayer. Beth makes this point. She says that if you want to become something great, if you want to do what God has called you to do, if you want to be transformed into a person that has impact on this world, it is only going to come through fervent, furious and faith filled prayer. And my challenge for you all this morning is to establish a prayer life that allows you to be transformed into the great person that God wants you to be. But if we're honest, we know that prayer can have an impact on our lives. But I know that I don't pray like I should, and my guess is you don't pray like you should as well. And I believe we don't pray like we should because of a variety of reasons, but some of them are this, because we have some misconceptions about prayer. The first misconception we have about prayer is that God is a genie in the bottle. In other words, we pray asking God for things, thinking that he is obligated to give them to us, and when we don't get them, we stop praying. Here's the good news, that God is not a genie in the bottle, God is God. And the difference between a genie and a bottle and God is that a genie will give you everything you want, but God will give you what you want that aligns with his will. And that is and important because we don't even know sometimes what we are to pray for. And had God given us all the things we ever asked him for, our lives would probably be messed up more than they are right now. We'd probably be far away from God and we wouldn't be in the place that God has us to be. So you need to sometimes thank God for the prayers that he did not answer. All right, y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of y'all in high school, you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, somebody that you fell in love with, and you prayed and asked God, Lord, let this be my spouse. Aren't you glad if you're not with them right now that God allowed you to break up with them because that person is not exactly what you needed, and had God given them to you, your life would be jacked up. You wouldn't be in college right now. You might be hot on drugs because that person would be driving you crazy. I thank God that he's not a genie in the bottle. Another misconception about prayer is this, that prayer equals a lack of action. That prayer equals a lack of action. That I just pray and I sit down and I wait patiently on the Lord. No, prayer does not mean that you don't spring into action. Prayer and action go hand in hand. And right now in our society, there's this, uh, there's this thing going on where people say thoughts and prayers and people hate that Christians in particular say thoughts and prayers. Listen, we are believers and we believe in thoughts and we certainly believe in prayers. But coupled with our thoughts and prayers need to be corresponding action that shows that we are trusting God in faith. The Bible tells us this, with, uh, that faith without works is dead. So our responsibility is to pray and to act. It has often been said this way, that we are to pray, to pray like everything depends on God but act like everything depends on us. So we have to match our prayer with our action. Another uh, misconception about prayer is that prayer is supposed to be used in case of an emergency. That it's just like a fire extinguisher sitting behind glass, that we are supposed to break the glass and use it when we have an emergency in our lives. But trust me, if you wait till you have an emergency to pray, your life is not gonna be great because you will find yourself in some issues that you cannot handle. Now, prayer is great in an emergency, But prayer also should happen before an emergency because it prepares you to handle the emergencies that you will face in life. And then the final misconception is that prayer is a waste of time or it is boring. I have often not prayed because I've made the error of believing that prayer doesn't make a significant difference. But when I look back over my life, when I have submitted myself to God in prayer, I have seen him do wonderful things in my life to demonstrate his power. So if you're in the camp there, you believe that prayer is a waste of time or boring, I want to challenge you to spend time with God in prayer and see how he works and moves in your life because your life will be anything but boring when you submit yourself to prayer. That is what Mark Batterson says. He says, if you establish a prayer routine, your life will be anything but routine. So what is it that we need to learn about prayer? Prayer. I believe there's no better place for us to learn about prayer than in Matthew chapter 6 where we have for us what is known as the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, this is one of the four gospels that we have in the Bible. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount that goes from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. Right in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, he pauses for a moment to teach his disciples and teach those who are following him all about prayer. In another place in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke, we have the disciples come into Jesus and they ask Him, Lord, teach us to prayer, and He gives them this same teaching that we're going to see in Matthew chapter 6. It's safe to say that Jesus frequently taught on this subject matter because He wanted His disciples to know and understand that prayer was going to be the thing that they needed in their life the most if they were going to accomplish anything great for Him. This prayer message that Jesus gave was essentially one of his greatest hits. It is a prayer that all of us prayed. As a matter of fact, it is estimated by many historians that the most recited words by anyone in all of human history, if you were to look at what is most often recited, you would see that the Lord's Prayer would probably rank number one. So if you have your Bible this morning, open it up to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to start by reading verses 5. Through eight. Matthew 6 5 through8 it says this and when you pray Jesus is saying this and when you pray he's making an assumption that you will be that you will pray do not be like the hypocrites that sounds like harsh language for Jesus for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others don't do that don't pray simply to be seen by others truly I tell you they have received their reward in full but when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Any of y'all know people who pray for way too long? That you're at a meal, you ask them to pray, and they start praying so long, you start thinking to yourself, my food is about to be cold. Would you shut this thing down right now? For they think they'll be hurt because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him." As Jesus starts to teach about prayer, he tells them two things that you're not supposed to do: to continue to babble and to pray to be seen by others. He's talking about an attitude, that our attitude in prayer matters. But Jesus, when he presses past what not to do, he then gives them two truths that I believe if we hold on to and make them the foundation of our prayer life can revolutionize our lives and give us lives that are significant and meaningful and great. So these very two truths are this. The first truth is this, our position, our position, that as we begin to pray, we must know our position. Jesus says, then this is how you should pray. Our Father, everybody say Father. Okay, y'all saying that like y'all had too much candy last night. Let's try that again. Uh, Jesus says, pray our Father. Everybody say Father. Father. Okay, now y'all are a little bit more awake. In heaven, hallowed be your name. As Jesus is teaching the crowds, he says, when you pray, say our Father. Now, we read that in our 21st century context, and we don't have the same experience that these hearers of Jesus' message would have heard in that day. When Jesus says to pray our Father, he's saying that in a context where God was viewed as everything but a father. In this context, individuals believe Jesus that was so, excuse me, believe God was so powerful that they were reluctant in how they prayed to him and how they approached him. They would, not, uh, they would never pray our Father, but Jesus says, I want you to understand your position when you pray. You are not praying to this distant deity that has no desire to know you, but you are praying to a heavenly father that knows you up close. And one of the things that we have to grasp and we have to understand in our lives that God is our father. Now understand, when we talk about God being our heavenly father, if you have a earthly father that has not been good to you, then it can cause you to have a wall built up between yourself and your heavenly father. And one of my hopes for you is that you begin to understand that there is a vast difference between your heavenly father and your earthly father. Your earthly father is not perfect. Your earthly father is not all loving. Your earthly father is not patient. But your father who lives in heaven is a perfect father that is patient, kind, and loving and wants to hear from you. And just because your earthly father may not have been loving to you, I want you to know today that you have a loving father in heaven who is waiting for you to approach him in prayer so he can spend time with you and give you a life of significance and meaning so you are a special person to your heavenly father. Never allow a human being to cause you to neglect your heavenly father. Now, I'm a father of twins, I have, uh, Twins, have they're eight years old, uh, and I'm reminded every day of how flawed I am. As a matter of fact, yesterday, while we were out trick-or-treating, my kids were running around house to house, and I found myself becoming impatient with them and yelling at them and saying the dumbest things like, hey, y'all better not eat that candy in that bag. You better stop running around in the neighborhood when the very thing that they were supposed to be doing that day was eating candy and running around. But because I'm impatient, I saw my flaws. Well, here's the thing. My kids, I hope, learn the lesson that just because their earthly father is impatient, they have a heavenly father that is patient and will hear from them. And because you have an earthly father, he is saying I am in relationship with you and your position is, is my son or as my daughter and you can approach me boldly. You are the son's and daughters of a heavenly father that has all the resources that you need and our position is that of a son or daughter and we should pray to him regularly. That's the thought that Jesus was getting to in John chapter 1 verse 12. He says, this is what we read in, in from John, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will but born out." of God. In the Gospel of John, John establishes for us that we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. And do you know what rights adopted sons and daughters have? The same rights as natural sons and daughters. And there is nothing that God won't do to be in relationship with you. You have been adopted by God. And if your position is one of his son or his daughter, you ought to spend and we ought to spend time with him in prayer. A friend of mine at the church, uh, he pastors Bayside Folsom. His name is Brian. Uh, And Pastor Brian has 13 children. 13 children. Uh, Many of them are adopted. And uh, his last kids, his last set of kids, four, he adopted from the Congo in Africa. He had a difficult time getting those children because of some unrest that was going on in Congo. Uh, After he adopted his children, they became legally his, but he had to fight for two and a half years to get them out of the destruction in Congo to bring them to America. He fought for two and a half years, spent a whole lot of money, uh, made several trips back and forth to the Congo to rescue his children because they had been adopted by him, they belonged to him, and there was nothing that he would not do to get those children into his presence. Can I tell you today, That my friend Brian went to great lengths to get his children into relationship with him, but God has gone to even greater lengths. Because you are adopted by him, you are loved by him, and you don't have to live in shame or guilt because the Father knows your name and he wants to be in relationship with you. So when you approach him in prayer, approach him from the position that says, this is my loving Father and I can make my request known to him because he loves me. Jesus says, when you pray, say our Father, but then he gives us this other phrase. He says, make sure you pray our Father in heaven. Everybody say heaven. Heaven. Hallowed be your name. He says, He is our Father. He relates to us on our level, but He is in heaven. He is above our level. And His name is to be hallowed or to be revered. Never make the mistake of knowing that just because God is your Father, That he does not see things from a different perspective than you. God is in heaven and we live on earth. How many of you have ever prayed for something and God didn't give it to you? and He didn't give it to you quick enough and you found yourself angry and upset with God. Am I the only one? Anybody else been there in your life a time or two? And if you ever prayed and God didn't give you exactly what you wanted when you wanted it, what I have realized is because God has a different perspective than me and because my position is down here and he lives up there, he knows exactly what I need even when my desire says something else. So our position is God is our father. He's at our level, but we also have to know that he is above our level. So he has more wisdom than we have and he sees things that we don't see and he sees a bigger picture than we see because he is above us. And when you understand that your position is one where you have a limited ability to see what is going on in the world, and God has a whole view of the world, it will help you when your prayers don't get answered in the way you want them to be answered. I learned a lesson about this by way of, believe it or not, my dog. Uh, A few months ago, my kids were asking us for a dog. Since we moved from Atlanta, I felt a little guilty, so I bought my kids a little small dog. He's about eight pounds. Uh, And my kids love this dog to death. My mother-in-law, who lives with us, loves this dog to death. And I tolerate the dog. All right, he's in the house. I appreciate him. My mother-in-law began to make this dog peanut butter sandwiches, and I couldn't believe she was making this dog peanut butter sandwiches when we had dog food in the house. It seemed like a waste. She was going to do all this extra stuff for this dog. But now, I make the dog peanut butter sandwiches, too, because I'm loving it a little bit more now. But what happens when I make this dog peanut butter sandwiches is this. I go into the pantry. I get bread. I get the peanut butter. And as I'm standing at the island making the sandwich, the dog stands right next to me, and he starts to bark if I don't move quick enough. He starts to bark at me and yell at me, and then if I take too long, he'll start clawing at my legs, and I look at the dog and I tell him, chill. Then I go back to what I'm doing. And as I'm making the sandwich, he keeps barking, he keeps yelling at me, he keeps complaining, and I look at him and I say, chill out, Gio. But he keeps on barking, and he keeps on complaining. And he keeps on getting upset because I am not giving him what he wants quick enough. And as I was making my dog a sandwich the other day, I felt the Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder and say, Jason, you are just like that dog. That when you don't get what you want, when you want it, you start to bark at me and get upset and complain. But what you don't understand is that I'm on a level that's higher than you, and I see things from a bigger perspective and picture. And if you'll just wait and sit down and chill out, I'll get back to you when I finish doing what I'm doing. And can I tell you that I bet that I'm not the only person that's like my dog in this room. Did there have been times in your life where you have complained and got upset with God? Perhaps you're upset right now. Can I tell you that because God is above your level, he sees things the way that you don't see them. But keep on waiting on God. Sit down and chill out. And you can pray to him, but don't complain to him and say, God, I will trust that you will give me what I need exactly when I need it. We got to know our position we also have to get this second truth. We have to understand his provision. Provision is just a simply a fancy word. It talks about what God provides for us. And we have a guarantee in this prayer from Jesus on what God will provide for, for us. We're told this in verse 11. It says, give us today our daily bread. Everybody say daily bread. Y'all eating candy again. Everybody say daily bread. There you go. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this passage, Jesus teaches us that God will provide three things for us guaranteed every single day. And when we understand what God is going to provide for us, it will help us in our prayer lives to trust him more. These are the three things that we're told that we will be provided when we pray. Jesus says, when you pray, pray to the Lord to give you your daily bread. Your daily bread. What is daily bread? Jesus used this example in John chapter 6 when he's speaking to the Jewish community and he says, Moses gave you bread from heaven. Y'all remember when the children of God were in uh, leaving out of Egypt, Egypt, in route to the promised land? And every day God would give them manna from heaven. Jesus says, He gave you manna that was from heaven. It was physical bread, but I'm giving you something much better. That I'm gonna give you spiritual bread, and if I am enough for you, and if I am your daily bread, you will never go hungry ever again in your life, and you'll have have exactly what you need so while you were given physical bread in the wilderness I am going to be spiritual bread for you what is this all about this passage is saying that we our daily bread is the satisfaction that comes from being in relationship with Jesus listen until Jesus is enough we'll be consumed by things that can't satisfy us until Jesus is enough for you you'll be consumed by things that can never satisfy you And our prayer every day should be for God to give us our daily bread. And what I found is that there are so many other things in life that we desire, that if we continue to desire them, we will never be full. But if Jesus is enough for you, he says and he promises that you will have this satisfaction that only comes from being in relationship with him. And if you aren't satisfied with Jesus, if he is not enough for you, what you will find yourself doing is constantly pursuing things that when you obtain them, do not give you what you think they'll give you. Some of you are in pursuit of a degree. And you're thinking, man, once I get this, this this degree, I'll be satisfied. Others of you are saying, man, once I get the relationship I want, I'll be satisfied. Once I have the job I want, I'll be satisfied. Once I have money in my bank account, I'll be satisfied. Can I tell you that if you're chasing material things, they will never satisfy you. But if you say that Jesus is enough for me, the sacrifice and relationship that I have with him is enough. When Jesus is enough, everything else won't won't consume your desire. All the trouble that people ever get in. Is because their desire is not fulfilled, but you have to make up your mind that Jesus is enough. Is he your daily bread? Earlier, I told y'all that I moved here from Atlanta, Georgia. What we have to be satisfied in is not just Jesus, but we have to be satisfied in the plan that he has for us. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia since I was 10 years old, and for several years, as I grew up there, I thought that that would be the place that I would live the rest of my life. I love Atlanta with all my heart. All of my family members are there. But in 2017, I got a call from a guy at Bayside, and he said, hey, would you consider making a move out here? And I thought to myself, no, I won't make a move out there. I don't want to go to California. It's nowhere near my family. I don't want to go way out west. Well, I came out here on an interview in 2017. I went back home. I called him and said, hey, man, I appreciate the opportunity, but I want to stay in Atlanta. All of my desires are here. All of my family is here. The job I have right now is right here. I don't want to move. I've got a plan figured out. No thanks. Well, over the course of a year, I kept in contact with that guy, and he gave me another opportunity to make the move out here, and I came out here uh, on a trip to visit. While I was out here on the trip, they were telling me as we were having breakfast about a guy here whose name is uh, Bishop Sherwood Carthen and his wife. And they talked about how significant Sherwood had been in this area and how great his wife was and just how much of a woman of God she was. As we left the restaurant, my wife, Dr. Kane, some of y'all may know her, she stopped to use the restroom, and we're standing outside the restaurant. And while we're outside the restaurant, guess who comes walking up? Sherwood Carthen's wife. As she walks up, my wife comes out the restroom, and they're saying, hey, this is Jason and Stephanie. They're thinking about making a move out here to California. And and, uh, Charlene looks at us, and she says, stop. She looks at me through my soul and she says, Jason, it's time. I know you got a plan for your life, but God has a plan that's better than the plan that you could have. It is time for you to move. And in that moment, immediately, Gerard transformed my desires. And I made his plan my satisfaction instead of my own plan. And now today, I live here. And can I tell you that the adventure that God has had me on over the past year is not one that I would trade for the world And this is what I want you to know today, that you got to be satisfied with what the plan God has for you. Because when your plan contradicts with God's plan, go with God's plan because God's plan is always greater than your own plan. Are you satisfied with Christ? Jesus says he'll give us our satisfaction, but we also will be forgiven on a daily basis. Have you asked God for forgiveness? This is the great news that if you are walking around with guilt and shame, you don't have to because you have been forgiven. And then finally, he says that we should pray that we would be delivered from evil. God would take us away from temptation. Anybody have any temptations in your life? Any temptation that you've been dealing with, that you've been falling to? Don't you know that your father in heaven can deliver you from that temptation? If you would be honest with him and say, Lord, I need your deliverance. This message is a message of first for me because I have fallen into temptation myself. But I've been reminded as i prepared this message that I can pray to God daily to deliver me from evil. Understand your position. You are a son and daughter of God. Understand his provision. He will provide for you. If you're not satisfied with your life right now, say, Jesus, I need you to be my satisfaction. You've been falling into sin and you have found yourself full of guilt and shame. You need to know today you have been forgiven by God who loves you. You don't have to fall into temptation every day because God can deliver you from it. Would you bow me for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you that I can put my faith and trust in you that you are my Father. Lord, I pray for these students, that you would give them direction, that they would make a decision to follow you with their whole hearts every single day. That when their plan contradicts your plan, Lord, help them to trust that your plan is much better than anything they could have for themselves. Lord, I pray that their lives would not be wrecked by sin and temptation, that the enemy would not be able to rejoice because he was able to get them out of your will. Lord, I pray that they would know that if they ask you for forgiveness, you will give it to them daily. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said amen. That's my time. I thank you guys so much for yours.